This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded CanStar's most trusted energy providers nationally 2021 and 22. That's Red Energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. What does it take for you to lose an endorsement or a sponsor? And do we hold these sportsmen to higher principles than our own? And I think there's something about an Australian cricket captain that, yeah, we probably do. An increasing number of Australians feel anxious about this date. Now, our First Nations community, for a long, long time, generations have had real issues with this date. I understand them and I agree with them. It is a very uncomfortable date. But I do love the idea of a date that celebrates our country. The Oscars have really lost their way a bit in the last few years. Oh, I wonder if there'll be a punch-up this year. Yeah, that's right. And and an apology that came far too late. If you've got a pair of shorts and you're thinking, "Mm, should I? Do. I say do. There you go. What do I know? Ah, memories. Well, that's that's avocado for you or... Jamie Oliver's Peking Nut and Coffee. Peking Nut, not Peking. (laughs) Duck. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 251 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corey, here we are back in the studio with Miss Jane, heaps to discuss on the eve of the day still officially known as Australia Day. Don't get upset, everyone. And looking at the most beautiful summer posy from the Garden of Jane, roses, hydrangeas, lilac, agapanthus. It is beautiful, Jane. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Hello, Jane. Uh, it's remarkable, Jane. It's really, it's, uh, uh, it's good to see you off the streets Stealing people's flowers. And the scent is gorgeous, Corrie. Oh, it's beautiful, Janie. <laughs> Jane, really? I've had a bit of um, luck with, well, I, I think it looks good. I've been doing a lot of um, dahlias, sort of rusty coloured dahlias and a beautiful lemon oh. yellow with um, blue plumbago, oh. a really dark blue one that's coming out now, also from my garden. Although you wander around the streets at the moment, Corrie, you can get some lovely Things and people don't mind. No. You're deadheading. No, you're not deadheading. You're stealing. You just if if you see a woman at about seven p.m. at night with a pair of shears under her arm, it'll be Caroline Wilson. Never go for a walk without your secateurs. My motto. Now, um, thank you to everyone who got in touch after our two hundred and fiftieth episode and our first one for twenty twenty three last week. Kathy Briggs, thanks for all the fun companion companionship and entertainment over the past two hundred and fifty episodes. Fabulous. Steve Perkin, your brother. I didn't know he used social media. Well done, guys, and you've never invited me on. Shattered. Hey, listen. <laughs> He's always gonna, been a man of few words. We're gonna have to um we're gonna have to have Steve Perkin and William Wilson on today. Never were there two more different men, and they're both related to us. I think we have to have them on. No, I know it could fall horribly flat or it could go off. Who knows? Like a lot of things. Uh, Kim Gosling, I could not agree with you more. Kim says, I've read Spare. What I don't like is the hypocrisy in this book. He rang, as in Harry, rang his therapist when he argues with William, doesn't know where to get help for Megan when she's suffering mental health issues. Harry and Megan have issues with a private letter being published, but he doesn't have an issue publishing text messages between Catherine and Megan. Here, here. Um, Belinda Burke um, loved our recipe but felt there was a bit much oil in Clem's 
um, salmon recipe. It is sort of a confit idea and slow cooked, but yeah, I don't know. Agreed, I, you don't have to have that much oil. I had a, I had intended to cook it on the weekend, but I was so crook we had to cancel our dinner party. So I haven't cooked it yet, but um, which is the reason I'm hosting Cory. You've been terribly ill, but you're better, which is great. Yes, you look fabulous. Maybe because you've just emerged from. Oh, You're so, I'm so excited. Well, nine days in bed apart from the podcast morning and after after you and I parted the other day, I went to bed and I went to doctor and I had infected ears and infected everything, entire head. So it's just been awful. I just think, Cara, there's something about a summer cold that is, it's it's just, it's kind of more difficult to deal with. Oh, and so depressing because in winter you don't mind staying inside. You know, it's sort of quite weird. nice, but you feel... Yeah, I, I, I had a really bad one a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm with you. Um, anyway, later on in the program, I do have a, a bit of a, a, a tip that a friend gave me, I think toward the end of the week. I can't even remember what day it was, but it certainly is, uh, is a ripper if you're suffering from a cold or, or a chest infection. We're going to talk about the Oscar nominations that are just out. We're going to talk about January 26th, but thank you, Belinda Burke. Um, despite your issues with a little much oil, um, you loved Corrie's take on Prince Harry. He points out that we're proper journalists and not opinion piece writers, and this is what journalism seems to have become. He learned, I learn heaps and laugh, Belinda in Hawthorne. Oh, thank, thank you, Belinda. you, Belinda. That's so nice. So, Corrie, um, it is, there's a lot of big decisions, I feel, for Anthony Albanese. I mean, now that the um, Queen Elizabeth is dead, what happens with Australia becoming a republic? You know, big national issues. The National Day, um, I see Woolworths a few weeks ago decided that they would make a public holiday for its workers nationally optional and that if they want, they can take another day off as a public holiday because many have issues with January 26. Some people really get angry when you call it Invasion Day. Some people get angry when you call it Australia Day. And my sort of feeling about my experience of January 26 is that it was the bicentennial in 1988 where it really became a big thing. And it was very much Sydney, a Sydney thing. And I know my relatives in Sydney always have a big Australia Day, whereas we generally don't. I just remember as a kid, you know, A&A Weekend, the Australian Natives Association, which was basically white Australians who were native, well, who were born here, creating, you know, putting forward this idea that we had made that our national holiday because... It was basically the day the first fleet landed in Botany Bay. Is that right? Well, uh, I've done a bit of research and uh, went straight to the Britannica Encyclopedia. And Australia Day, as it's known, honours the establishment of the first permanent European settlement on the continent of Australia, January 26, 1788. Arthur Phillip, as we know, sailed into what is now Sydney Cove with a shipload of convicts and uh, hoisted up the British flag and put it on land. And uh, that was the, the beginning of European settlement in, uh, in Australia. In the early 1800s, the date, well, it became known as Foundation Day. Uh, and it was really celebrated, as you say, mainly by people in New South Wales. Politicians made a big deal of it, businessmen, private dinners. And then at some point it became known as Anniversary Day, in 1836, in fact, they held the first anniversary anniversary regatta 
And they still hold the Australia Day regatta, uh, which, of course, I think is the start of the Sydney to Hobart uh, yacht race. In 1838, the 50th anniversary... But the Sydney to Hobart yacht race is... Something completely different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's on the same day. So the regatta has now become something sort of bigger. Not like. right. The yacht but race yeah, is obviously in December. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in 1838 on the 50th... Yeah, sorry, I've got my dates mixed up there. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, in 1838 on the 50th anniversary of settlement... Official public celebrations were held for the very first time, but as you say, pretty low level and pretty contained to New South Wales. And then in 1988, of course, as you said, it became a national public holiday. And uh, it was then to um, mark the closest Monday to that date. And then in 1994, it was decided that the holiday would be observed on the actual date. So, uh, how it, times change so quickly. And it's what's so, what is it? so amazing in four or five years, Caro, how an increasing number of Australians feel anxious about this date. Now, our First Nations community for a long, long time, generations have had real, real issues with this date. I understand them. It dates back to I, I very have, early in the 20th century. I have century. huge empathy and I, and I agree with them. It is a very uncomfortable date. But I do love the idea of a date that celebrates our country as diverse and as different coloured and as, as, as multifaceted as we are. There should be a date. And I think this time last year, you and I discussed it and I thought January 1st, why not the start of a new year? That might cause an issue with people who love public holidays. But why don't we just pick a date out of nowhere? So all Australians of all backgrounds, from the First Nations communities who have been with us for thousands of years and then the relative newcomers who are us. Why can't we just all celebrate together? Yeah, well, there has been um, people who've turned away from it. I mean, obviously, Triple J famously with its Hottest 100 stopped broadcasting the Hottest 100 songs of the year on January 26. You know, Adam Goods famously mentioned as part of a very good speech when he became Australian of the Year that for him, you know, to him, to him and many of his friends and family and people and mob, it is known, it, it's it's Invasion Day. Um, I, I don't, if it upsets, as we said last year, if it upsets that many people, why on earth have we got it? We are a nation of debaters of public holidays. We debate our public holidays incessantly. But to be brutal, I mean, and I, I, I don't think this is a day we really quite understand either, but Anzac Day feels like much more a national holiday to me and a day that feels more quintessentially Australian. <laughs> unlike, though, unlike grand final holiday here in Victoria, which, which I still don't understand. Which people get really angry about. And then Labor Day, of course, is celebrated on different days around the country. I mean, it look, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. It is clearly not, I mean, I'm not doing anything different tomorrow. It's a bit annoying because I'm catching up with someone for a coffee and I checked this morning and the coffee shop's going to be closed. I think it needs to be changed. Mm, I'm working tomorrow. And I and I and there are a number of firms, as you said, Woolies and Telstra, and a number of them have said that they are providing options for workers to choose. Uh, and Network 10 is another one. Um, if you want to work on the 26th of January, we'll give you a day in lieu, or maybe you can take the Friday. In my inbox, Caro, one of the old publishing houses, one of my old gang from the bookshop days, a firm press. I really liked this statement by one of their people there. And they said, 
It's our hope that as a nation, whatever the date, we can come up with a day that celebrates all aspects of what it means to be Australian and which will have extra meaning for all Australians. I'm with that. I just think for First Nations communities, it is a difficult day, this one. It was the day when their worlds changed forever. And with the white fella came massacres and land grabs and stolen children and rape and alcoholism. Uh, where do we begin, really, Caro? I think it's time to change the day, don't you? I do. I do. And um, and I think we don't really have skin in the game because we don't usually do much for Australia Day anyway. We're both traditionally journalists and journalists don't traditionally get public holidays. So probably the wrong people to ask. But as an Australian, I'd like to change it. Now, Corrie, the Oscar nominations came out, which is always a big talking point for us. A few people have been snubbed. Oh, you know, Emma Thompson, who we absolutely loved in his to you, Leo Grande, has not been nominated. I couldn't believe that, Carol. And neither has um, Olivia Coleman for that new um, Sam Mendes film, I think Empire of Light. Uh, Michelle Williams has. Uh, Viola Davis, who people raved about her performance in The Woman King. She hasn't, I haven't seen it, hasn't been nominated. Um, a few surprises, but I'm desperate to see The Fablemans. Mm, me which too. Looks absolutely Based fantastic. Based on, on Steven Spielberg's childhood. Yes. I mean, the reviews are absolutely wonderful. And Michelle Williams has been nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. I don't know whether she plays the mother. I think she plays the Fableman mother. Yep. Would that be right? Yes. Um, and um, certainly she's been nominated for Best League at Lead Actress. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis has scored a nomination. And Baz isn't generally. Several but, nominations, but including Baz was best overlooked film. himself, Caro. That's I think that's a disgrace. Now you know I saw this film on my own. You did and gave it a very good review. I thought it was brilliant direction uh, in a in a different Baz Luhrmann kind of way, not traditional direction of a film, but the innovation. You could just tell that this director works really closely with his leading man, and the supporting actor being Tom Hanks. You could tell that this was a real ensemble, including the director, kind of production. I, it's happened I'm just before, though. Surprised. It's happened before, where famously um, everyone's been nominated, including the film, but the director hasn't. There, I guess there's a reason for it. Andrea Risborough, um, who stars in the film To Leslie, a very, very small film about a Texas woman who wins a lottery and she's an alcoholic. I can't wait to see this film. She's it been championed great. by every big name in, you know, in the Jane Fonda, Kate Blanchett. And it's just interesting, you know, when everyone gets behind and campaigns for a film, sometimes it works, whereas clearly no one campaigned for Emma Thompson, who's obviously, you know, not not short of awards um, in the past. I thought, but the, I thought the Best Picture nominations were interesting. Avatar. Okay, so... I, you, you know I love yeah. a fantasy and magical realism and everything. Can't come to avatars, haven't got into them. But James Cameron, yet again of Titanic fame, has been, is one of the producers of this, Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, do you know, do you, do you watch, are they your thing? Do they float your boat, no. avatars? Well, you, uh, you know the answer to that. <laughs> no, I just wanted to hear you say it. But you know the answer. Uh, Top Gun was nominated and I'm happy about that because that was, for its genre, what are you rolling your eyes at, Miss Jane? Sorry. She's with me. She's with me over here. I'm well, like, I went and saw it and I really enjoyed it. I'd love to see the remake of All Quiet on the Western Front yes. and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has received a plethora of nominations yes. and looks brilliant. Agree. And I want. I can't wait to see Tar, which is the yep. uh, the the biopic 
um, starring Kate Blanchett, who has been nominated for a Best Actress Award. Again. Also, also Best Picture here. And our favourite, um, Bill Nye. Yes. <gasps> that That's another film. There's some really good films that we, did we I haven't... Te- did I tell you about the Bill Nye interview Hatchard's podcast? Yes, oh, you did. Okay. You did Get last week. You did. And um, it sounds absolutely brilliant and the film looks brilliant. So... It's going to be interesting um, to see what happens. I mean, the Oscars have really lost their way a bit in the last few years. Oh, so I wonder if there'll be a punch-up this year. Well, I wonder if, yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, and, and an apology that came far too late. It'll just be hopefully a really interesting night and I look forward to the gags. I'm, and I hope I, there's a bit of frivolous Hollywood celebrity and showmanship. Oh, let's just get Jack Nicholson back in the front row with his, with his Ray-Bans on. But <laughs> BAFTAs are more interesting for me and wonderful uh, Richard A. Grant... He's yep. hosting. Is he? He's hosting Is the he? BAFTAs. Oh, he'll be fantastic. Oh, well, there's a lot of celebrity um, events to look forward to and a lot of good films. February, March is always traditionally film month. And, and just and just to remind people, we will be doing best fashions in the field for all of these events. I think we've got a fashion uh, discussion coming up soon in this show. I have finally been back to the movies and seen a film, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Corrie, it's time to hit the cocktail cabinet. Yeah, I was going to say, hit, you're going to say hit the bottle then. <laughs> well, yes. I've got a summer cocktail that I have just fallen in love with. Miles is going to talk to us about summer cocktails and some new discoveries. And thank you, of course, to Prince Weinstor for bringing us this wonderful segment. So, Corrie, Miles Thompson joins us for the first time in 2023. Miles, thanks for coming in. And... I'm very excited that today we're discussing summer cocktails. Mm, perfect. You can today's kick perfect it, weather for it. It is. You can <laughs> kick us off. Yeah, so I, I, I'm going to go with a variation on the theme rather than necessarily some sort of new new cocktail. But I was I was talking to, to Tiff at Bellotta and sort of discussing things. And we were talking about vermouth and we have a vermouth tasting at the end of the month as well. So that'll be cool. But we were sort of talking about spritzes, but spritzes instead of the classic spritzer with, with Campari just mixing it up and putting vermouth in it and any type of sort of vermouth, you can make some really interesting stuff. But the one that we talked that we really liked is the Pampel. So instead of the Campari, you put in the Pampel and the Pampel is a grapefruit sort of aperitif. And so that's what they make at, at Bellotta and it is delicious. So it's the, it's the get good sparkling for it. So sparkling the Pampel grapefruit aperitif and soda and if you How do you spell Pampel? So P. P A M P E L E. This really awesome, Sounds like great. But yeah, when, like did, a, when did we like start bitter, calling it bittersweet vermouth? That's an American thing, isn't I know, it? I, I, when I was about eighteen or nineteen and learning to drink, I used to call it the vermouth and dry. Yeah, vermouth or vermouth. I think both are correct, aren't they, Miles? I mean, yeah, I think you can call it whatever you is want. Is it a young I mean, person's vermouth? thing or something to call it vermouth? Well, vermouth is the style, so. Okay. So, so, so Campari and Aperol, that's the oh, yeah. sort of other right. own, their own sort of thing. And then v- vermouth has to be grape-based spirit. Call it whatever you want. Okay, no thanks. <laughs> we're in Australia. We're kind of allowed to. Yeah, have a holiday do, whenever do, we do want. Whatever we so like. that sounds really nice. So a nice yeah. vermouth so, or so vermouth. So you can do it with the Pampel. Or the Pampel. Can I just ask? What, I'm yeah. trying to visualise it. What's the colour? Well, the Pampel still got that really sort of orangey sort of red colour. If I was going to go vermouth, I'd probably go like red vermouth, and then it all sort of stays that same colour. Yeah, so yeah. Any of those nice sludgy brown might not be so yeah, nice. Yeah. Although, in saying that, there's a there's a really like Punta Mess. If you've ever heard of it, it's a it's a Italian vermouth. It's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more sort of bitter, sort of sweet. 
and it's a little bit richer. It, it makes a lovely, really cool spritzer um, that you could do that. So the Punta Mes is, is very, very cool. And some of those Spanish vermouths are really awesome. They have that real citrus kind of thing. Perfect so for the summer evening. Bottles of vermouth, they're not super expensive and you can buy a couple and sort of experiment. And a lot just of very smart restaurants now... You order yeah, have little as a as an aperitif absolutely. before dinner. You have a vermouth on ice oh, totally. or just a vermouth without just a chilled one. Or yeah, it's or, a or, really you know, nice Montenegro drink. Amaro on which is an Amaro, but it's you know very similar in style. Montenegro Amaro and soda. Have you ever had that before? No. Oh, the miles so I had. So good. I found my cocktail so of the summer. Yes, I want to hear this. I discovered it only last week. It's called an old Cuban. You would mm. know it. Love the name. Love the name, and I know that if you're at Prince Wine Store, buy a bottle of their St. James Amber or maybe the Dark Matter. Yeah, if Dark Matter is like a bit more of a spiced rum, but it would probably go. Yeah, so I don't know if this was so much a spiced rum, but it is basically, Corey, 45 mils of dark rum, 20 mils of lime juice, like fresh lime, the sugar spirit, about 15 mils, dash of bitters, 25 mils brute champagne. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? That's a surprise. Mint leaves. Or you could probably yeah, do Prosecco, but probably I think I think a, a sparkling wine is probably better than it. More well, Prosecco would probably work. My friend, um, our friend, Tanya, put me onto this. She discovered it a few years ago from a friend of hers who was a great cocktail maker. This was a really nice drink. Yum. And so has it got a light brownie kind of colour about it? Yeah, very, very yeah. light. Yeah, so very like a light, light ginger beer kind of colour. Yeah, even lighter. Oh, beautiful. Even lighter. It was absolutely beautiful. It was just the, the combination of the right. And you only, well, you probably could have more than one. You only needed one. Maybe I had one and a half. The, the old Cuban, I would strongly okay, recommend. Okay, seven. Oh, that sounds <laughs> um, can awesome. I tell you? Can I tell you about my cocktail? Yeah, let's go. It's a non-alcoholic one. Controversial. I know, for me it is. <laughs> Carol's looking at me like, what the hell are you? Um, so we were talking last week, Miles, about the joy of actually going down the beach at about five or six o'clock at night mm. and having a little aperitif on the beach and Why wouldn't you? coming out of your esky and having a swim and catching up with whoever's down there and throwing the ball for the dog if the dog's allowed on the beach at that time. And uh, I haven't been feeling so great for the last week or two. And a friend said, I wasn't drinking. And they said, listen, try this it, in a little can, Naked Life Cocktail Negroni, a 200ml can, eight calories, Caro. Not that we worry about weight on this program, but that was kind of nice to know. Absolutely delicious. A sweet blend of cherry, apple, lemon and orange extracts. Highly recommend. How good. how Sounds dare good. it call itself a Negroni though? Yeah. <laughs> how, how do they get away with that? What would Stanley say? <laughs> God. It sounds lovely though. It's really good, and the cans are very sw- cute. They're kind of pink, and they they're they're quite feminine looking, I suppose. But oh, we better get some in the store then. Could you? We? Oh, I'm sorry. Am I plugging something? That's yes, Prince. No, I don't know. No, that's yes, great. Head I buyer, love... whoever you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do. I mean, we've talked about it before. We do sell a lot of non-alc stuff, and it's yeah. more popular and more popular. And Febfast is coming. Caro knows I'm not a fan um, of things that come in cans, yeah. like my rosé in a can that you all bagged. That it was very nice, and I think you're all probably a bit jealous. I but they're, perf- they're perfect. Although for I didn't that, mind though. the old UDL back in the day. Oh yeah. Oh. Exactly. Well, you can oh, Miles, get... you're too young. Come on, you don't know what UDL I know what is. Our local surf club Bacardi sells breezes. Can you get those can. anymore? Negroni in a can, like a real, a real Negroni. There's a few, I think poor Tom's do a, poor Tom's from Sydney, their gin, they do a Negroni in a can and they've got their own Negroni sort of pre-done Negroni sort of spirit that they do as well. There's some, yeah, 
Yeah. I, so think it's a, I think it lends itself to that. It I does. I think Negroni in particular lends itself to that 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 style and in the can. And you, you know feel what? like you're being naughty each. and chic, but you're actually drinking a non-alcoholic mm. eight-calorie yeah. drink. And if four pillars now it. do Sounds their good. gin and tonic in a can, and yeah, exactly. it's a lot of different. Gordon's yeah. do yeah. one. Yep. So, what's your? Do you have a favourite cocktail at the moment? I mean, obviously this one with the pampel and the vermouth and. The sparkling. Look, outside of that, to be honest, the only cocktail that I, you know, obviously I'm a big gin, gin and tonic sort of guy. And I like a classic, like just a, oh, a, a, to, a, Tom, a bit of that over the last Or a Tom, even a, like good Tom Collins, you know, yep. or variations of Tom Collins are always good. You can do, do lots of little different things for that. But I'd say otherwise outside of that, I am a, I am a margarita man all the way. Oh yeah, you and my brother. I love oh, yeah. it. And just, just not with Contro, just the agave syrup, a really good tequila. Lots of lime. It's all about the quality of the tequila, That's right. I reckon. Good tequila, good agave syrup. And not frozen. Syrup, not frozen. No, no, no. no, no, no. That's, that's an affectation. That's a 70s yeah. affectation. Yeah. So that's my that's my real. Yeah. Go to. My, tr- my real treat. Miles, as always, fabulous to see you. Great conversation. Great I, I recommend my cocktail. I also recommend that Miles's. very good. That involves the pampel and mm. a nice vermouth. Yeah. And an experiment. I look forward to, forward to hearing about your vermouth tasting. At yeah, the... that'll be cool. We'll talk about it again, I'm sure. Mm. Thanks to Prince Wine Store for this segment, as always, the Cocktail Cabinet. Um, there is a sale going on at the moment. It ends on Sunday the 29th of January. But remember, you just have to get online or go into the shop and the promo code is M-E-S-S and you will get your listener discount. Thank you, Miles. That Thank was you. the Cocktail Cabinet. Corrie, it's now time for BSF Book, Screen and Food. Thank, thanks to Red Energy. And remember, call your local energy retailer, Red Energy, on 131806. Now, I... Just before you start, Carol, we've just had a little bit of correspondence from Simone from Perth on BSF. This is a book recommendation. Hi, Carol and Corrie. Great to have you back in my ears for 2023. Just want to make a recommendation for those who love Louisa May Alcott's Little Women. The book is called Mami by Sarah Miller, and it tells the little woman's story from Mami's perspective. And as a lover of the original, this is sensational. I have read Geraldine Brooks's March, the father's take on the story, but in my view, this is better. The author details Mami's feminist position, her position, read the Civil War, etc., etc. It is just fantastic. Thanks, Simone from Perth. Great wreck. I read a review of Mami when it came out, and I always had it on my to-do list, but I still haven't read it. Uh, you've given me some wonderful books for me to take on a little journey I'm about to embark upon, and I'm looking forward to reviewing this some of those. This wouldn't be Bridge Congress, would it, on the Gold Coast? No, that's in a few. That's another. That's <laughs> that's another, another little journey. <laughs> Um, you don't get much time to read I was, at Congress. I was say. Now, Corrie, I know you hosted a book club recently where you talked about, I think you did um, Booker Prize winners yes, and Booker did. Prize winners. And generally, I'm not a man Booker Prize winner. It's no longer called man, but yes, go yeah, on. Sorry, a yep. Booker Prize winner, aficionado. Thank you for um, correcting me. Because I don't even think I read many Booker Prize winners. And um, I did love The Narrow Road to the Deep North. That was a fabulous book. An, an Australian winner, of course, but um, yeah, I, this but this book I found out when I was you've just redone your bookshelves, and I've had the similar thing because we had a terrible leak and had to empty our bookshelves. And when I was emptying everything out, I thought I'm going to do a cull, and I culled a lot of books, but I put aside about six that I had never read, and I read I've read two of them. Just oh, I don't know why I never read these. What are they doing here? And the Resurrectionists 
by Michael Collins was one of them. Um, I think it was written in the early to, uh, 2007, around that sort of time. It was shortlisted for the Booker, didn't win the Booker. He wrote The Hours, didn't he? I'll have to check that. We'll check that. Um, I can look it this up. This is as a you fabulous talk. book. This is a. Sorry, that was Michael Cunningham. Yep. Yeah, um, now, I didn't. Yeah, Michael Collins has written a book about uh, a man who is in his mid 30s who picks up his wife and his two kids, although one of the kids isn't actually his, and crosses America after his uncle is murdered. He needs to find out his family history. He needs to find out the true identity of the man who allegedly murdered his uncle. He needs to reconcile with his cousin who grew up as his, as his, as his brother. This is a, a fascinating mystery, family saga, tragedy, road trip. Oh, there are so many elements to this book. It is just wonderful. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, whoever, Did it win the Booker Prize? No, it didn't. It was shortlisted, but it didn't win it. You he's might an, be he's able an to... Irish writer. I'm just looking here now. It is here. It's a wonderful it was, book. It was uh, well, another novel, The Keepers of Truth by Michael Collins, was shortlisted for the 2000 book, Booker Prize. Well, year 2000. Well, so he's no slouch. This guy, this is a very, very good book. And, you know, this is a, well, it's a book review um, joined with um, an, an apology because you know how this happened years ago with um, Drusilla Majeska's Poppy and I got it out of my bookshelf and Marjorie Johnson, 1999 or something was in the, and, you know, I'd denied for years that I'd borrowed it. Well, this one says Gina Ferguson, 2007. Maybe he wrote it earlier, but that's the date. Anyway. You, don't, you have to give the, give it back now Gina, to Gina. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And you've just become a grandmother to the beautiful Penelope. So congratulations. And this book is wonderful. So I will return it. But I know it's not a new book and I don't know if it's easy to find, but I highly recommend it. 2002. Kate. My machine here says. Oh, okay. Well, Gina had it later on, obviously. It's really, it's a really, really good book. That's great. Uh, look, um, he has written many books as I'm looking at it here. So, um, What did your Booker Prize, com- I mean, what, what were the highlights of that book club? Uh, we did, well, we did the winning book, which I talked about last week. Yep. And we did, um, and we don't always do necessarily the winning book. We just, I just choose, because I'm the boss of the whole shebang, I choose the books and I chose the two books I thought we could have some really good discussions about. And the other one was Claire Keegan's Small Things Like These, which oh, I talked yep. about before Christmas. Which you've reviewed. Um, a little and powerful novel, yeah. So for people in book clubs who are looking for a couple of good suggestions, Small Things Like These is great, particularly if it's a busy time of year for your book club because it's a short novel, uh, powerful, packs a punch, but it is short and easy to read. And the winner of last year's Booker Prize, The Seven Moons of Marley Almeida, which I reviewed last week, is a very good book as well. Booker Prize winners, look, isn't it interesting how some years there are none that you can connect with and then other years... And you have no desire to read them. The Finkler Question, I think, which yes. won sort of around 2009 Howard or Howard Jacobson. 10. Yeah, I really like that book and I like his books, but... Often I just have no interest, and we do them at book club, and everyone gives them rather the thumbs down. Mm, it's interesting, anyway, isn't it? It's all about the panel. Caro, screen, and you've been to see Operation Fortune. I have. I have. This is um, a romp, a British romp, starring Hugh Grant, who just gets better and better at those um, sending himself up type films. It's a Guy Ritchie. Um, it's a Miramax film, interestingly enough. Um, it's got a great cast. 
Jason um, Stratham. Can I just ask, are the Weinsteins still involved with Miramax? Should know. know. Don't know. Well, well, clearly Harvey isn't. No, but I just um, wondered whether the other the other, other brother is. Anyway, the, sorry, I interrupted. This is an, an international romp basically about the search for um, the theft. Something has been stolen worth billions of dollars. No one, the British government or, in, in fact, um, MI5, don't really know what it is that's been stolen. So they bring in one of their key but slightly dodgy operators to find out what it is. He's played by Jason Stratham. He plays Orson Fortune, hence Operation Fortune. An absolute revelation is Aubrey Plaza, who anyone who enjoyed um, that one set on the resort, the first one was in Hawaii, the second one was in... um, Oh, the Lotus. The White Lotus. Mm. She's an absolute revelation in season two of The White Lotus, Aubrey Plaza. She plays the American spy operative who's brought in to help we travel around the world, Corrie. We, the, we what's, go to, what's Hugh's role? He plays the billionaire who is a central figure in what has been stolen. But he is also a movie buff. And he, what they do is, is they basically second a movie star to come with them on their investigations and get him to infiltrate Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant plays a fake tanned Lothario who is just so rich. I think we see him on his yacht in the south of France. We see him in Morocco. He loves hamming it up too. We see him. He hams it up something shocking. <laughs> it's light. It goes for just over an hour and a half. It's bloody funny. And if you want to see some beautiful international scenes, I think Madrid gets a big mention as well. London, um, LA, it is a very, very funny film. I wouldn't – it's sort of – People compared it to The Gentleman. The Gentleman was much better, but it's worth it just for Hugh Grant Great. alone. I love it. It's love a, complete, a Guy, Guy Ritchie movie. It's a complete spoof and I would recommend it. Now, Corrie, you have a Jamie Oliver recipe for the food of this I do. This is, uh, this is really super easy and prepared this not long after Christmas when nobody could really be bothered doing anything but uh, had a couple of people over and we wanted to have something sweet after dinner. The old, reliable Jamie Oliver's pecan nut ice cream recipe, which is here in this old cookbook of mine, Coco, probably aged, hmm, looking at the writing, maybe 14 or 15, and she's done a little drawing of how I should present it as well. It is it is actually um, affogato. So people who do, people do this all the time. So there's nothing new or exciting or interesting about this recipe. But can I tell you, it is just such a Moorish delicious thing, especially if you're time poor. So, Cara, what you do is you put two cups of pecan nuts on an oven tray and sprinkle a cup of icing sugar on top of the pecan nuts. Don't let them burn. Um, that would be that would but, I would but definitely mi- but burn mix them. it all up so that the the nuts are pretty much sugar coated and you bake them for 180 degrees in the oven. Again, depends on your oven, but just make sure you've got your timer every three or five minutes. It's like pine nuts. Because you don't want well, the first lot I did, of course, I burnt them and into the bin. Oh, that's you expensive. Then, you then put two scoops of vanilla ice cream. Can I suggest a good quality one? Although, interestingly, the old um, dairy bell. the old Peters. Oh, the dairy bell's pretty good too, I have to say. So that was a bit of a snobby comment of mine to say a good one. But um, put two scoops of vanilla dairy ice cream. Dairy bell will get upset just like Mr. Cobram did <laughs> <laughs> all those years ago. Hello, dairy bell. Um, so... Um, it's the presentation, Carol. You've got to have an ice cream scoop to get your perfect ball, really. Yep. So yep. two scoops of perfectly rounded ice cream balls in a glass or some sort of glass vessel. And then 
poor espresso coffee, can it please be a good quality ground at that moment when you do it? So we have all the shebang on the kitchen sink. So that was Pete's job to create the hot, hot coffee, the espresso. You pour it over the ice cream. You sprinkle the nuts on top. And then Coco's written here, then serve and enjoy with a smiley face next to it. <laughs> Don't you add some form of liqueur or liquor? Oh, well, you could if you're an alcoholic. Is it, but no, but isn't um, that affogato? Well, I have, well, I I have here, I have, well, that is, this one's not called affogato, but I have here Jamie's recipe also in front of me. And um, he also serves on the side uh, a little amaretto kind of biscuit, which could be quite lovely as well. What about he the glass mention, of amaretto? <laughs> <laughs> He does. You've been drinking too much. Um, he doesn't mention in this recipe that he's actually put any alcohol in it. But look, oh, you could okay. probably, I might be wrong. You I might could probably wrong. put it to a little bit of Kahlua or something like that maybe. I don't know. Give it a whirl. Anyway, can I just say, look, not only is Yum. this really pretty. Beautiful. Because the, the ice cream starts to melt but the coffee comes up from the bottom so it, it doesn't get to the uh, to the. Sunday, coffee Sunday kind of look, but it's still, it's just very pretty, but so, so, so easy. So that's my little recipe for summer. Very um, simple. And I love the combination of hot and cold. Remember yeah, Rod's too. Carousel when they used to, you'd get the ice cream Rob's Sunday. Carousel. Oh, that would be <laughs> cold ice cream with hot chocolate sauce on top. I know. And nuts. Oh, oh my God. You know, you, you explain to the kids of today. Rob's carousel. So mum and dad would drive there in the car. We'd sit in the back of the car. Jane's looking flummoxed. She's far uh, too it's young. It's a, la- a Adelaide thing. A lady, oh, just it, like, yeah, I mean, unlike the cane toad, toad, it did not spread across the border, thank Christ. And so you're sitting there all excited in the back of the car. Are you kidding? The lady takes the order and then your dinner comes to you or your lunch on a tray that you eat in the back of the car and then you drive off. It was in, on the Albert Park Lake. Yeah. And then it didn't it reopen at one point and it became a sort of a restaurant. Anyway, I just remember the ice cream sundaes with the hot chocolate sauce and you didn't need to yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. But it was great. So we'd do that and then on the way home we'd go to Leo's in Fitzroy Street and choose one of, you know, we thought it was amazing having twelve ice cream gelati. That uh, is um your flavours pa- you could your parents were very out there, clearly. Well, yeah. Very I mean, you know, it was a long way home back to, to Hampton and Sandringham. Long way. So you had to have an ice cream on the way home. But how ex- – I remember stopping off at Leo's for an ice – or somewhere there to get an ice cream. Isn't that – oh, God, that – ah, memories. Well, that's yeah. that's avocado for you or what's it called? Uh, an ice cream sundae? Yeah, but Peking, yeah, Peking ja- Jamie Oliver's Peking Nut and Coffee Pecan Ice Pecan Nut, yeah. not Peking. <laughs> Duck. <laughs> Oh, dear me. It's that, a long day for me. <laughs> that was BSF for Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Remember the number, 131806. Corrie, you're grumpy. Uh, Caro, I'm grumpy really to do with uh, COVID. I'm blaming COVID for this. I think all of our, unbeknownst to a lot of us, our lung capacity, our heart muscle our internal organs have been affected, particularly if you had a really bad dose of COVID, and we're not right yet. We are not right yet. Yes. So I'm just, I'm really grumpy with COVID. I don't have any solution to this, but I do want people who had a bad COVID experience in the past 12 months to really just think about your breathing, your respiratory. Don't overdo it. Remember a few months ago, I had the warning. I went to listen to 
Professor Peter Doherty, the Nobel yes. Laureate at the Wheeler Centre, and he told us all that he only that morning he had received a report from Harvard Medical School which said that people between 20 and 40 might be vulnerable, no excessive exercise for at least a year. And the moderator asked Peter, so what does excessive exercise mean? And he said, a jog of up to five kilometres, a bike ride, don't do a marathon. So I hit the phone and told all the kids, stop your exercising immediately because everybody at that stage had had COVID. But I just think we really need to be aware. And I'm a bit grumpy that there's not more, uh, there, there aren't more warnings about people taking care and, and listening to their respiratory issue, listening to their to their bodies. If they've had COVID, listen to what your body is telling you. Well, I guess, you Not know, that I had COVID last week, but I think I was deeply affected by the fact that I had... A, 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 had it previously a, had a tough and, and therefore your symptoms yep. were much worse. Yes, the cough and everything, the legacy. So I'm, more public warnings, please. But oh, I reckon there's a lot of public warnings. Are I mean, you? Yeah, well, I don't I only ever see them on a government website. Well, I think if you've had it, I think you really should, you know, take control of your own body and look up stuff. I think that's a bit, yes. I mean, I don't think we really want to hear public warnings on TV all the time now, do we? I don't know. Maybe, don't maybe people have just tuned out. Well, Corrie, speaking of your grumpy topic, um, we'll launch into six quick questions. What was your best summer cold get well trick to um, go from negative to positive? Thank you to um, Jane, not our Miss Jane, but my other friend Jane. Actually, I've got about seven Janes in my life, but this one knows who she is. For the tip, hot, 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 Corrie. And apparently a few years ago in Bangkok, Jane became very unwell with a bad, bad, bad respiratory issue and they had to call the doctor. And the doctor actually there, if you're high end, which she is probably staying at a good hotel, but they arrive with an ambulance, which actually has the pharmacist inside, the chemist inside. So they kind of treat you all in one. It was rather terrific. But the doctor kept saying to her, hot, hot, hot. You need hot curries, hot drinks. Don't drink any water. Don't drink ice water. Because that's kind of what you're craving a bit because your throat's hurting. So Jane said, one of the big tips he gave her was ginger and lemongrass in hot water. So I started doing this on about the Thursday, Caro. I can't tell you the relief. So really, what a lesson. That night, uh, we had a vegetable curry that was in the freezer. We defrosted it. So any hot drinks, and she's right about the cold drinks. They do actually, your throat constricts. Somebody medical will get in touch with us, I hope, and tell us what's going on here. But anyway, just remember, when you're cold, 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 you have hot, hot, hot. Good to know. I love the idea of the one-stop shop in the ambulance. Isn't not having to go and, So you don't have to go and pick up your prescription no, because they do it all. Really, uh, really. Probably really rather helpful. not be there in the first place, but if you are. Um, Caro, what rookie mistake did you make this week? Well, look, and I don't want people to think I'm encouraging, I'm talking about weight, but I bought a dress that was one size too small for me. Because I really, really love. I'm it. determined to lose weight. Jane's twisting her face a bit. <laughs> How often have we always said that? If I just lose a bit of weight, I'll, it'll be right. I just love this dress so much. And um, you and I have both got a wedding coming up. Some of us have got more than one wedding coming up. And I adored it. I didn't buy it for this other wedding. My sister was in the shop with me. She said, look, it's absolutely divine. You never, you know, have you looked? There was, there was not another size that of my size anywhere in the world. I've been to um, a local alterations person and she said, you do your bit and I will do mine. So I have to do my bit and maybe just 
do a Shed. lot of exercise and maybe not overeat as so I have been. So what's the rookie mistake? Haven't you done this you before? Never, exactly, but it doesn't mean that doesn't make it any well, less rookie, of a rookie, rookie mistake. Mean, rookie means it's the first time. Well, no. I feel we've gone in this territory a few no, times no, over the years. No, no, it doesn't mean rookie. No, rookie mistake means it's a mistake that a rookie would make. It doesn't mean the first time. Okay. Yep. Do you get rid of anything that's too small in your wardrobe from years gone past? Because that's apparently very important to do. Don't hold out. Really? Yeah. There's really? no point if you've got the two sides down. One day, one day. The wedding's in about a month or so. I will report back. Oh, just I what, will report just back. Just watch those certain items that you might be eating on that certain trip you're going to. Well, yeah, but, but it Which is, you find at the it pub. Is, it has got a lot of material in the beautiful skirt. Anyway, look, it was just, it's it's obviously a very nice dress. Okay, well. And it wasn't super expensive. Corrie, what do you think will be the main legacy of Jacinda Ardern, who obviously retired recently as New Zealand Prime Minister? Compassion. I mean, there's lots, isn't there? There's climate change and there's there's all sorts of things. But I think, and also I'd, I'd have to add too, Caro, choosing her time to se- step down. How, how often is it that the blokes hold on? They cling on to power. Even the party room, everybody's tapping. I think tapping. a couple of women have been guilty of that as they well. They tap on the No, but I just think of Angela Merkel and, you know, so often Margaret the women Thatcher. just go, oh, yeah, well, that, you're right. But, uh, but even Julia, though, Julia even Gillard. Even though she, she was a brilliant leader, she really should have stepped, you know. They, Julia Gillard could have fought, fought in the trenches for that job a bit harder. But anyway. Um, well, not really. Kevin ousted her before the election. Yeah, I know. But, but she, could have, she could have made more of a battlefield, I suppose. Anyway, look, just take, take that analogy yes. out of it. Okay, just let's talk let's talk about her and let's talk about her compassion. And I think the time, of course, when we all felt uh the greatest uh respect for her and regard was after that far right wing terrorist attack in two thousand and nineteen. Um the gunman who who shot and killed fifty one people at the two mosques in Christchurch. That was horrendous. She showed true leadership. Um, I think she's great. Um, the Washington Post had a really interesting long essay by one of their, uh, the top of their tree, Jennifer Rubin, the op-ed writer. And the headline was, Jacinda Ardern was the icon democracy needed, which I thought was really interesting. And Jennifer Rubin said, in short, Ardern matched compassion and empathy with decisive action, defying the rights caricature of progressives as weak or vacillating. So that was interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I wish her all the best in her new life, Jacinta Ardern. Carol, what impossible task will you attempt this week? I'm obviously having a tough week. <laughs> I'm going away on a quick trip to somewhere very, very and cold. And you're not eating. I'm not taking cabin luggage. I'm not taking luggage. Mm. I'm, I'm only taking cabin luggage, even though I'm going to need puffers and boots and jeans and jumpers. I am sick of taking too much stuff when I go away. Well, did and you I'm... see that story in The Age said that you shouldn't take it for the next six months? You Why? Shouldn't, you shouldn't check in luggage because it could end up anywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, Brendan was given um, by um, my stepmother, Juliana, a um, find my, you know, that app you put in your luggage now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Air so tag. Ha- so tell Air me. Ta- I got one for the dog. <laughs> they work. They really work. Well, it's great. Where were you sending the dog? Well, not sending him, but if it's on his collar. Oh, I see. And oh, he's sorry. Around... I thought I imagined him yes. being put in a suitcase. Um, Carol, no, so, so how are you going to pack? Tell me. So when you're waiting for hours for your luggage and you get the air tag, you know yeah. at least it's there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do, you know, your rule of three, three and three. I'm going to do two, two and two. But how do two... you get puffers and boots Well, in? a puffer, actually they pack down pretty small. 
That's you not could really actually the wear it, you know, over your shoulders. Well, I could. Um, I'm not taking a coat. I'll borrow a coat when I get there. Might find one on sale. Who knows? Um, one jumper. I can feel. I can feel yet another package coming home maybe, via post. Maybe two jump. Two jumpers. Two pairs of pants. Two dresses, and runners and boots, and that's it. Wow. The, you know, the, the toughest thing, of course, is always your cosmetics. And you've got to be careful because you don't want things confiscated because they're only 100 mils. But, yeah, I probably need you because you're a much better packer than me to come around and advise me. But I'm, lo- I'm not looking forward to it. Now, Corrie, should women our age wear shorts? I definitely shouldn't. But should women generally? And I ask you, this is mini skirts are coming back in as well. They are. Oh, I had this discussion with my daughters about this. And in fact, before summer... They probably didn't think we should even be mentioning it. They did. They thought it was it was mean and awful to talk about women's figures. and But I agree with them both. I mean, where I'm landing... about figures. Where I'm landing this is I think we should all wear whatever we want to. So that's the positive news. But to get there, before... Before Christmas, you know, I, I I like in hot weather to to. You always I, wear shorts. I, if I yeah, and I have and, but no, I, no, no, Carol, I don't have shorts. good legs. I do not have good legs, and I and my knees have sagged, and I'm not for a second. Not have I ever thought I have good legs at all. But the point you is, you don't have bad legs. I like to walk, as you know, in summer when we walk, I like to wear a pair of shorts and a t-shirt because I'm comfortable and I'm cool, and I have always worn shorts. You know with a T-shirt or something down the street to get the milk or something. And I asked my eldest daughter, Francesca, do you reckon I'm now actually officially kind of too old? To Like, is there a thing? And her her view is very much maybe years ago, yes, we all wondered about if you got to 40, should you stop wearing this or that or that? But really now, who cares? And that's my attitude with this short thing. They're so practical, aren't they? They're so practical. Well, if you're a golfer... I mean, there are times that shorts are, and on a boat. I mean, shorts are much better on a boat. On a walk in hot weather, definitely. Even, but just even in hot weather. Look, there's nothing nicer than uh, than women who who can get away with it because they might have the height or the legs, or whatever. A, a short suit, you know, shorts and a like long long shorts to the knee, but with a jacket, and it's a casual day at work. Like I think that look is fantastic. I can't do it myself, but. I just think like a little jumpsuit. I reckon I don't. I've never thought of it as shorts as being an age thing. Short skirts, people getting a bit of a tizz about. Well, don't they? well, it, I, I guess it, it, it. I guess where it comes back to, Carol, is that fashion rule, which is years old, and who cares? Um, which is women over the age of forty or forty-five shouldn't show their knee. They should really? stop wearing mini skirts and just lower it a bit, unless you've got great knees and 40, great legs. 40, uh, Forty-five. Well, you know, too young. Um, Coco Chanel was a big one for women should never show their knees. I know that was a different time and place and period, but even when she was in the 60s as a grand old dame and the miniskirt was coming in, she didn't approve of that sort of thing. Uh, But, look, minis are in, as you say, amazing footage, everybody. Great um, Instagram account is French Vogue, and they're showing all the fashion parades at the moment, the Pret-a-Porter and, oh, so many fabulous minisuits and tweed and, oh, gosh, I would just... I'd love to be able to wear that stuff. But anyway, if you've got a pair of shorts and you're thinking, "Mm, should I? Do. I say do. There you go. Um, What do I know? Now, amazing fact, Caro, over to you. Well, this is a a segue from that extraordinary and quite upsetting and disturbing footage that was horribly filmed by some bystander when Michael Clark had a blue, the former Australian test captain, Pup, had a blue with his girlfriend. And I think Carl Stefanovic, who um, is married to said girlfriend's sister, 
Um, it was over infidelity. Obviously, some ex-girlfriend had, it sounds like, you know, the new girlfriend's been sent something and was very angry about what she saw. It was violent. It was clearly alcohol-laden or some, whatever. Um, Michael Clark has his shirt off. He is just behaving in an extraordinary way. It was just a, a terrible, terrible scene. I mean, why people film these things, I do not know. Why he thought as a public figure he must have been he must have been under the influence to think that you could do this sort of stuff in a public place. Both he and his partner were both charged, in fact, and fined. Um, he's lost his commentary gig in India, and I think it's going to cost him some endorsements. It's just amazing when you look at, um, and we saw what happened with Wayne Carey, even though he repeatedly denied um, that the white powder was anything was anything other than something medicinal that he was caught with at Crown or he was told to have been taking into Crown in Perth last year. He's lost all of his, a lot of his media, most of his media roles, in fact, all of them, I think. But it's just amazing to think that, and we were talking about this the other night, Nike stuck with Tiger Woods throughout everything. You know, he signed a massive, you know, tens of $40 million deal, I think, with Nike back in the mid-90s, um, re-signed for, I think, $100 million in the 2000s. That fame is that, you know, the incident when he broke up with his wife and all the girls came out and then he had all the terrible injuries and so much went wrong in his life after that and he didn't win for years. Nike stuck with him. They dumped Lance Armstrong and people were like, oh, they stuck with Tiger, dumped Lance. I think drug cheating is a bit different to cheating on your wife, to be honest, when it comes to sport. Mightn't be in terms of your normal life, but I think in sport it clearly is a very, very different thing. And it was only when um, his injuries were so bad and his back issues were so bad that he started wearing foot joy at a tournament because they were just more comfortable than Nike's, that he that, that relationship actually briefly severed. And they both put out a statement, it was all fine. It's It's just extraordinary to think how long they stuck with him over everything and how it all came home to roost, you know, when Tiger finally had that magnificent mm. win again. Mm. I just find that question sort of, it's more of a, I suppose it's a conversation topic rather than an amazing fact, although I think Nike's loyalty to Tiger is pretty amazing. Um, to You know, of, of what what does it take for you to lose an endorsement or a sponsor? And do we hold, you know, these sportsmen to higher principles than our own. And I think there's something about an Australian cricket captain that, yeah, we probably do. And Michael Clark, after yeah. one really dodgy, terrible night, has lost a lot of respect from a lot of people. I agree with I, – I never thought I would – well, that's wrong. I, I have agreed with Andrew Bolt on different occasions, um, and I did agree with Andrew Bolt this week. He said this is, this is um, domestic violence being played out in a public park – like he was, he was arguing. He sort of lost his way a bit in the column, that, though, didn't he? Well, he, he, he started did. out saying it was woke, and then he said he, made he deserved it. Yeah, and and also, can people please use woke in the correct sense? And and we'll talk about that next week. I'll do it as my amazing fact: what woke actually means. But Andrew Bolt started off quite strongly, and he said, "Where are the feminists who are who are, they've all gone quiet? Why aren't they saying?" This woman has attacked this man. I'm with you, Andrew. I found, even though it was the dodgiest, worst video <laughs> recording, and he quality, was saying, "Hit me, hit me, hit me." But, but it was it was her extreme agitation and anger that 
regardless of what's prompted it, that really affected me. I thought this cannot be played out in front of children. Children should see no one hitting anyone. Like the swear words. Corrie, and I just the, thought, the reason people don't... Real. I don't want to take sides about it, but I just wanted to say that I think Andrew Bolt was right. We should have just said, oh, you know, Michael Clark is not the only culprit here, that his partner also, I think, is very guilty. And she should have exactly, as the Queensland police, find them both exactly right. I just, I do, th- there's a reason why people <coughs> don't get as upset when a woman hits a man, and it's it's because men are... In of most course, cases, course, stronger than women. Oh, no, I know that. I'm, but I'm putting that to another side. I mean, I side. don't think she actually physically hurt him, whereas if he had really laid into her, he would have had the strength I'm to I'm not comparing them. I'm not even saying, you know, he got – I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's just look at what happened and just go, my God, that was a shocking incident, regardless of whether the man or the woman or the strength or the whatever. It was just a shocking thing for all of those people to witness. What, oh. were, what were they thinking to do it in public? And well, they must have been fueled with alcohol. And what to let sort this, of to let their guard down like that? And it's interesting how long it happened on January ten. It took it probably at least a week to come out. Do you think the person who filmed it and a couple of people filmed it? Do you think there was a bit bit of a fee being negotiated oh, with the Sydney Telegraph? Been. Might have been a bit of a fee. It's just anyway. I, I just find it extraordinary that. But I agree the with Nike your point. Tiger Woods I do. It's, it's is, the, the inconsistencies. But why is it that sports people are? It's because they're our role models, and our children connect with sports people. They don't necessarily connect with Bob Hawke, who had a drinking problem when he was president of the ACTU, and sometimes behaved appallingly in public. Um, but they do connect with a sports person who's a hero, who they follow, role model. And despite everything, when Tiger plays a shot in golf, everybody wants to be there and everybody is watching it on their TV sets, And which is why for all those years, you know, the American golfing media sort of hid the fact that he was actually, you know, occasionally swearing at, you know, caddies and throwing clubs. And anyway, that's another topic. Corrie, well, what an interesting <laughs> conversation we've, this we've, has been. We've covered from women's shorts We've been to here, there and everywhere. <laughs> To the Oscars, to cocktails we love. What a lovely chat we've had. I do, Carol, think, I do think Emma Thompson was robbed, but we'll I just leave too. it at that. Ha- have a great trip, but we'll be talking to you, of course, remotely. We will. And what do we say, Corey? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And if you'd like to support the podcast, tell a friend about the show. Perhaps they haven't discovered it yet. You can send us an email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at don'tshootpod and sign up for our weekly email. We'll send you the show notes straight to your inbox. And of course, thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store.